Hello and welcome back to The Gold Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel, delighted to be joined as ever by my co-host, Jade. How are you doing, Jade, on this very rainy October day? Yes, aside from the miserable weather outside, I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Yes, I'm doing well. It's been a really exciting week over in Gold. We published some new features, which have been very well received. Farmer and Island is one that you put together mm-hmm. that I'd very much recommend everyone reads. And today, actually, we're bringing out our latest Catalyst interview. So do be sure to head over to our website and check that out. We'll leave it in the show notes below as well, in case you can't find your way over there. Definitely not one to be missed out on. So Jade, what do we have coming up in today's episode? Well, today I'm very happy to be sharing a discussion I recently had about the pharmaceutical industry's evolving commercial model with Rick Hollis, who's the Customer and Business Excellence Director at Ipsen. He had some really fresh ideas when it comes to engaging with customers in the pharma industry. So if you're keen to learn about what the future of marketing could look like, stay tuned. As Jade just mentioned, Rick is Ipsen's Director of Business Excellence, a new role that he took on almost a year ago now. But prior to joining Ipsen, Rick had 20 years of experience in pharmaceutical sales and marketing. But more recently, he's really begun to focus on improving the customer experience in the industry. That's right. Rick is a real expert when it comes to pharma marketing and his expertise was something I was really keen to dig into in our discussion. So without further ado, let's listen in. Hi, Rick. Welcome to The Gold Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Lovely. All right. Well, a pleasure to have you with us on this surprisingly sunny day for me down in London. I imagine it's quite different for you up north. It is, yeah. It's uh, hammering rain, unfortunately, as usual, but uh, delighted to be here. Yes, we'll have that soon enough, I imagine, as well. Great. So today we're going to be talking about the future of customer engagement. And I know this is something you're very passionate about as a sort of customer engagement aficionado, if you don't mind me saying. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing I wanted to ask you really about this was how, in your perspective, have you seen the industry's approach to customer engagement evolve during your time in the space and ultimately where do you think it needs to go from here? Yeah, so it's it's changed a lot, but I've been around a long time now, unfortunately. So I joined the industry in the early 2000s, and that was in the midst of, probably at the peak of when we were, it was all about share of voice of multiple reps doing the same product on the same territory, and it was it was really busy, and it was key messages, and we were fighting for the uh, the attention of the the doctors in that sort of face-to-face rep led way and I guess the evolution I've seen over time is clearly a move towards more digital and that was accelerated by COVID but the other bit I'm seeing is an increase in numbers of uh, field medical teams so largely the MSL role and I think we're seeing more of that as well and and the digital bit is is the really interesting bit because whilst there is an awful lot of talk around that and I'm desperately trying not to use the word omni-channel because I think it should be banned <laughs> now. But the the digitalization of customer engagement is ever increasing, but I don't think anyone's cracked it yet. So when you then go on to talk about where does it need to go next, I sort of feel like we need to find a way of doing digital and face-to-face in a joined-up way, but that brings the customer with us more. Like it still feels like we're doing it to the customer too much. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Sort of more collaborative. Yeah, exactly. And and collaborative in the creation of the content in the first place, I think. So the more 
the customers can help us sort of join the dots between where our product is and where it sits in their, I guess, their treatment needs. And then they can tell us what it is we need to be helping them with. And then the content's going to resonate better. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, a huge way forward. I mean, it's something that we see in different industries as well. Everyone always harks on about this, but the entertainment industry has done so well, especially during COVID, of course, when everyone was stuck at home. But really taking in customer feedback is a huge part of that and making sure that they're giving customers exactly what they need and what they are looking to engage with is a huge thing. And I think that's something that I hear a lot from pharma execs thinking, how can we be like the Netflix of the industry? Things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People always talk about Netflix, right? But the feedback bit, I think is really interesting. So a large part of my career, I was doing sales manager roles. So I would do an awful lot of field visits with reps where the rep would be meeting with a doctor and I'd be the gooseberry in the room, really sitting there listening to this conversation. And one of the things I often did is at the end of the conversation, just to ask the customer, how was that for you? Was that okay? Is there anything we could be doing better? That sort of just quick feedback chat, not really about the rep's performance, but about the company's performance. And it's fascinating because we don't, we just don't have a systemized way of doing that often as an industry. And, and it's so important to, to hear back from the customers. The only time we really get it is when they just stop speaking to us. And that's the ultimate feedback that we're not getting it right. Yeah, pretty much. I suppose, yeah, we see sort of net promoter scores being sent out across industry. It's every industry, not just pharma in general, but, um, getting just that number feedback and it's all quantitative and really lacking that role for qualitative engagement, I think is a way which engagement can really be improved. And yeah, like you say, you sitting in that room and asking how can this be improved? How can we do better next time? I think that's really valuable. Yeah. And and that's it that with, you know, we talk about Netflix, that they're, they're dealing with millions of customers. But in in the UK, when we think about I don't know, a medicine for uh, a particular cancer type, we're probably talking about less than a thousand doctors that are in charge of treating that tumor type in the UK. So it's, it's not big numbers. So yes, we could do net promoter score and, and you know lots of companies are doing that, but it's then how we engage them into a conversation and, and close the loop on that feedback. And that's the bit I think we're not quite getting right yet. Yeah, casting it, that, it's a very small net that's being cast out, isn't it? (laughs) Great. So that leads me very easily into my next question, which is around improving marketing teams' communications. So how would you recommend they can improve these communications and just make them more enticing rather than irritating to customers (laughs) who may be being bombarded with constant content from different pharma companies? Surely we're not irritating, are we? That's, <laughs> I honestly like I've I've heard that story, and particularly as we were coming out of the COVID lockdowns, where um, at the beginning I don't think pharma companies had much digital content to be sending, but by the time we got sort of two years in, they had lots to be sending, and it was just getting sent in high volumes, and and I imagine that was irritating. Um, I think we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the customer, right? So if you go back to when I came into industry, you would hear stories of GPs on golf courses or, you know, consultants on golf courses and letting the registrar do the clinic. And Mm -hmm. those days are just so long gone that the, 
normal working life of a consultant oncologist is incredibly busy. It's, you know, obviously we've got the strikes happening in the UK at the moment. There's a lot of unrest coming out of COVID within the NHS. But if you imagine they're getting to work before eight, they're receiving hundreds of emails. They're, they're getting through all of that work. Then they're in clinics. Then they're in MDTs. Often it's running over their lunchtime. These these customers are overwhelmed with just a lot of work. So often what I hear is imagining then this, this consultant is desperate to, to learn more about this particular new drug, but they're not, it's never going to get to the top of their priority list in that inbox. So I think one of the things we need to think about is warming the customer up for the digital engagement. So that email is much more likely to jump out at that customer if somebody's already mentioned it to him. So that's the bit for me is, is trying to join the dots between the conversations we're having and then the digital content. And I think trying to stand out in that really busy day for that consultant, it, it has to be high value. So if we go back to what we were saying earlier on about Netflix, one of the things that they are um, famous for is personalizing. So their algorithms will recommend TV programs and films that match what I've watched previously and, and they're good at suggesting. And so I think that's the key bit for our marketing teams to be more confident to really personalize what it is this customer needs to see or hear next from us and not just sending out the same thing to everybody. Mm, that's definitely a good point. So how ready do you think companies are to make this shift towards more personalized content? I think we're on that journey. I think we know more than we realize we know, but it's not very well structured. So let me explain what I mean. If I speak to one of our uh, field team, be that medical or commercial, they've been in the field a long time. They have an incredibly in-depth knowledge of their customers because they're actually going back to seeing the same customers time and again, and they get very close relationships with those customers largely. So, if you sit them down and have a conversation about a customer, they'll know all sorts of information about that customer. But then if I take that into the brand team and say to the brand team, what can you do to personalize your content? They'll probably point to either um, some sort of customer segmentation that might be three different buckets of customers and it's pretty generic across the different brands. I did an exercise a couple of years ago where I took across six different brands, the different customer segmentation, and I overlaid them on top of each other. And largely they were the same, the slightly different wordings, different namings, but it was pretty similar. And, and then when you ask them, okay, but what are you doing with that segmentation? Too often they'll say, oh, this, this piece of content needs to go to all of them. And so it's, it's unfortunate really that uh, we're still not very good at building our content and tagging our content specifically for different segments and our segments still aren't sophisticated enough I think. So if a company say an executive is hearing this and thinks oh I really want to get started with doing this I really want to get in there where would you recommend is the best place for them to start? <laughs> I think in my experience it's just starting small trial and error so don't try to build the perfect it's trying to build something really small 
and, and just building on it. So an example of that might be rather than building a, let's say a really basic level, a, an email. We've got some new information or new content that we want to share and we're going to build it into a nice looking well-designed email. Rather than just building that email, I would encourage brand teams to say, let's build it for a specific customer, a really specific type of customer, and then build it for them, identify those customers in that bucket and try it, and then watch it and, and reiterate it and build it, rather than being tempted to build it for everybody straight away. And then ideally then what we'd do is build a series of touch points of different pieces of content all still aimed at continuing that conversation on that same topic with that same customer and building those little sequence of engagements that the customer may or may not choose to follow that exact journey but there's there's a, a series of different pieces of content all along the same line that's the bit i think is is really the starting point mm. Yeah, I think customer profiles are so important across any business. I suppose maybe because they're such a generic marketing first step, they can sort of get waylaid sometimes. And you think, oh, we've heard enough about this. We're done. We want it to get out as many people as possible. But really, by targeting down and making sure that you are identifying these key people, you're going to make your content far superior <laughs> than trying to yeah. cater to the entire industry. I agree. I agree. And then, and then I guess it's, it's going back to my earlier point really about personalization. It's thinking about not just what do we want to say to the customer, but what do they want to hear from us? And sometimes finding that common ground between those two things. When, when I, I go back to the story about the field visits and quite often the, the most engaging bits of the conversation between a sales rep and a doctor would be where the rep would be sharing experiences in other local hospitals or sharing real world evidence so how a particular drug is working in a particular population of patients that it's beyond the clinical data and more into clinical experience that's the bit that pharma can do really well i think at a local level to say this is how the drug is being used this is how to get the best out of this drug because the the phase three study results, they can probably Google it and find it. So we need to evolve on from just sharing the facts and actually sharing experience. Definitely. I think it's reminding me as well. I know we both attended James Harper's 28B sales rep talk last year, almost yeah. a year ago now. And I remember it's stuck in my mind forever. It's Paul Sims was commenting on something and he remembered a conversation he had with someone else. And the quote that he said was, it is our moral obligation not to waste a HCP's time or something along those lines exactly. when they're and yeah. yeah, making sure that all these touch points are really valuable and they're getting this stage three data that they can't just Google and look up in their own time. They don't have to trawl through pages and pages of all this evidence that they could just find online. You're making sure that they're receiving the best quality and the optimal quantity of data is like the perfect solution. Yeah, I think that's so true. And and actually, I sort of go maybe one step further than that. Not just it's on us not to waste the doctor's time. It's also on us to really empower our customer-facing teams to be armed with information content that is going to be of interest to those customers. So it, it is high value to them. It's got a really good offering that the customer is going to be interested in. Because what, what I see happening is 
sometimes you've got brand teams building lots of digital content that's not particularly designed to be used by the field teams. So you've got over on the right-hand side, you've got a load of digital content getting sent directly to customers. And then you've got a field team over on the left-hand side where they are knocking on the door, trying to have conversations with doctors. They're really keen to add value and they, they definitely don't want to be wasting the doctor's time but they're not really empowered with the right materials that's really going to engage. And then you've got a senior leader who's only interested in how many doctors have you spoken to, like coverage and frequency. And for me, it's got to be about, did we add value, not just how many conversations did we have? And that still is a journey that we're on and, and still not really got away from playing the numbers game rather than, are we adding value? Yeah definitely a good step to take. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what, in your opinion, is a customer experience utopia in pharma? What's your ideal? That's, uh, do you know, that's such a good question because I, I think we're all still trying to dream it up a little bit. So I think the utopia would be that it doesn't feel like we're knocking on their door and, and we're wasting the time of the, the doctors, that the doctors want to partner with the, the pharma companies that are making these innovative products and that they want to partner with us to help find the uh, appropriate patients for those new products. Because let's face it, the, the industry does a relatively good job of finding new ways of tackling diseases and, and improving the lives of patients on those, on those drugs. But getting those drugs to patients is still a real challenge and particularly in the UK. So we have some of the lowest uptakes in the UK of new medicines compared to Europe. And we have one of the lowest spends per capita on drugs compared to Europe. And, and then we have really low customer engagement rates between doctors and pharmaceutical companies in the UK. Mm. So it's, it's not a great picture. So then when I think about, I I'm, promise you I'm going to get to something more positive. <laughs> it, the, the utopia would be that we are partnering and working together because at a really philosophical level we're trying to do the same thing we're trying to improve the lives of patients that are suffering with diseases and we're trying to improve the lives of those patients and, and hopefully live longer and better lives and so we sort of can't do it without each other so I'd just love to see more collaboration in that and that sort of brings me back to that loop of okay so how can we engage the customers more in creating the content that we need and, and what we need to be doing to getting patients onto treatment definitely for the betterment of health around the world really mm. is there any level of collaboration already that you see is it just that it needs a bit more bolstering no there, there definitely is collaboration I, sorry I shouldn't paint the picture that it's not happening it <laughs> absolutely is I think it just needs to happen more mm. so one of the areas that uh, the company I work for are moving into more is into rare diseases and when you get into rare diseases you're clearly working with a much smaller population of patients and then for a smaller population of doctors that are looking after those patients and tend to be more specialized. And so when you get to that, you, what you see is higher degrees of collaboration, I think. And that's, it's really important because that's where we can partner to say, we're bringing the new product, the new drug to market, but actually finding the patients that the specialists in the specialist centers are relying on non-specialist doctors to, to refer in the patients and identify this, diagnose this rare disease and, and send them in. And so sometimes those specialist centers 
can partner with the pharmaceutical company to go on that search to find the appropriate patient population. So that's where I've seen just recently, I guess it's just where we're up to in, in terms of being a company and what we're launching, but more collaboration probably in those rare diseases. So I am optimistic that we can do more partnership, um, but yeah, probably still room to grow there. <laughs> Definitely. I think in all aspects, there's room to grow. And yeah, I love the dedication to rare diseases there. If there's any area in the industry that deserves attention, I think it's definitely rare diseases. Yeah. Um, I know Clinogen have recently launched a survey to get patients a bit more engaged with rare diseases and just spreading awareness really and making sure that um, patient advocacy groups, things like that are aware of the resources that are available to them and getting them a bit more involved with clinical trials and research just to make yeah. sure that, you know, treatments for rare diseases can be discovered at the end of the day. It's all about that collaboration, like you say. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Totally agree. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been absolutely a delight. Um, I've just got one more question for you. And this is something that we're asking everyone for our season six of the podcast. And it's a bit more of a personal one about your thoughts around the industry and your role. So it is, what gets you up in the morning? What like springs you out of bed getting ready to go? And then what is one thing that can keep you up at night? Huh. So I... I'll probably just link it back to my the, the last discussion we had around the utopia. It's getting me up in the morning is about driving that change, driving the value that the customers, the doctors can take from engaging with pharmaceutical companies. I am convinced we have absolutely within our gift the ability to improve that collaboration between pharma and and, um, and customer. To, to the betterment of, of society by getting those medicines out. So I, I think that's what gets me out of bed in the morning is that sense of we're making progress. And then what keeps me up at night? I, not a lot keeps me up. I sleep very well, to be honest, <laughs> and, and quite a lot. But I, I guess if I was to be kept awake at night worrying about something, it would be the, the pace of change and, and how slow it is. And in particular, when I think about that digital customer engagement bit, it's the systems, the the IT systems, and that that bit is just like banging your head against a wall sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess that would be the bit that uh, causes me the most grief. Fair enough. I mean, systems around the UK, I remember, was it a few weeks ago, I think, when all of the air traffic control systems just went down yeah, and nobody yeah. could land, nobody could fly. So <laughs> it's a system scene all over the world, technically. <laughs> Everyone Absolutely. needs an update. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Rick. It's been a delight to talk to you again and I look forward to catching up with you another time. Absolutely. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Well, I thought that was a really great conversation. The future of pharma marketing certainly seems to be focused on greater collaboration with customers. Jade, do you have a key highlight from the discussion that you'd like to share? Absolutely. Um, aside from just having a good laugh in general, Rick's a great guy to talk to. Um, I really enjoyed his opinions on his customer experience utopia and the idea of engaging customers really from the get-go, collaborating on ideas with them, like you mentioned, just to ensure that patients are getting access to these treatments as soon as possible in the product lifecycle. Mm, yeah, I love that bit as well. If we're aiming for a utopia, does that mean we're currently in a dystopia, do oh. you think? I hope not. I think we're <laughs> trying our best not to be. Very good. Well, sadly, that does bring us to the end of today's episode. We do hope you've enjoyed listening. And thank you to Rick for joining us. Make sure to tune in next week for our next installment of the podcast, in which we'll be sharing a bit of a different episode. 
That's right, we'll be taking a step back from the interviews next week and chatting amongst ourselves about a very juicy topic, trust in the pharmaceutical industry. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on that. We're very much looking forward to getting into the topic. Absolutely. But until then, it's goodbye from us. Take care.